Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody feeling? Good. Let me just tell you, I love hearing you guys worship. In all seriousness, I love it. Uh, sometimes I stand up here in the, in the front, and I just, I just close my mouth, and I listen to you open yours. And it is, it's, it's awesome just to hear you guys sing. And so I want to encourage you guys, feel free during that worship time if you feel led to raise a hand. I know sometimes we can feel a little bit awkward doing that. You guys do know about the different kinds of worshipers, don't you? Remember that? You've probably heard the Tim Hawkins bit about that. You've got the people that kind of stay, they hang right here. This is called the ninja. You might be near a person like this. No one can tell that you're worshiping when you do this, right? And then you got the full time out that's out here, right? And then you got the touchdown up here. Look, the dangerous one is when you have a person next to you that's doing the ninja, and then they go straight into a full time out because that can hurt somebody, okay, right next to them. But really, they, I, I love hearing you guys worship, and feel free to raise your hands and, and lift your hands and worship to God. Uh, every, every time you're in a service here, we, we want to encourage that. So it's really awesome. Um, if you don't know, I'm, I'm uh, Pastor Brian. I'm, I'm the lead pastor here, and I uh, really want to just say welcome to our first time guest. Um, if this is your first time joining us, you're our, you're our honored guest. Um, as Maggie mentioned earlier, that little green connect card, we'd love to just be able to get connected with you. So if you could fill one of those out, and uh, we've already done the, the offering time, but if you'll bring it to me in the connection point, I'd love to be able to just meet you, get to know your family a little bit, and, uh, and just see what kind of is happening in your life and how we can kind of come alongside and minister to you. Uh, we'll welcome all those joining us online as well on the live stream today, and so uh, welcome to you there. Now, um, you guys, if you've been around the last week or so, you'll know we started a new series called Bumper Sticker Theology. Everybody say Bumper Sticker Theology. Kind of a funny phrase, isn't it? And uh, we talked about this past week how that uh, the bumper sticker, follow your heart, how that uh, the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament tells us really the heart is something that really can't be trusted and it really can't be trusted ever. And the only way we can really uh, in some ways control our heart is really by leading it to treasure Jesus. And that's what we talked about last week. And we kind of talked about the idea of how a bumper sticker is a, it's a short pithy saying, it's an axiom, if you will, that kind of promotes an agenda or, uh, or an idea or something that you're passionate about. And many times we as Christians have the very same things. We have these axioms that when someone comes to us and they ask us for advice and they say, hey, what should I do? We say things sometimes like, hey, follow your heart. And sometimes they can sound really good, but when we weigh them up against what God has said in his word through Jesus and through the other writers of, of the Bible, we say, ah, I don't know if it really is true when it comes through um, against scripture. And so last week I asked you guys, I want you to ask this question as we look at several different bumper sticker phrases throughout this series, I want you to ask this question. Is this biblically sound or does it just sound biblical? Is this biblically sound or does it just sound biblical? Because remember, everything you read, everything you see, even everything you say isn't always true. And more than that, there are people around you that maybe aren't Jesus followers yet who are drawing their perceptions of who God is based on the things you do and based on the things you say. So this is a very, very important thing that we need to wrap our heads around and make sure that these bumper sticker sayings that sound really great, make sure that they're actually true, in fact, when we weigh them against God's Word. Now today, the bumper sticker uh, phrase that we're actually going to tackle is this one. God is my co-pilot. Let's all say that together. You ready? Go. God is my co-pilot. Now, this one's a little bit different than some of the other bumper sticker phrases that we're going to talk about, because this isn't so much one that you say, so much as it, so much as it is one that you live by or do. 
You know what I mean by that? Like you don't just go around just telling people, hey, nice, to, hey, good to see you today, Fred. God's my co-pilot, you know? You, we don't do that. It's really more a kind of a mentality that we live by. And in a lot of ways, it sounds really biblical. And in a lot of ways, it sounds very positive. But again, we've got to ask this question, is it true? And when we weigh it against scripture, is it true? Well, today we're going to find out, okay? Let's pray together and we'll jump in. Lord, we thank you for the chance to open your word. Um, we thank you for uh, just the moving worship time that we've had this morning. Thank you for our team that put in the effort to just to lead us before your throne this morning. And uh, we thank you for the truths we were able to declare about you. And God, we do praise your name this morning. And uh, just help us to focus in on you, focus in on the word that you've given me for your people today. And uh, we just ask that you would move and, and help us to leave here changed a little more like you than we were when we came in this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I remember um, the, the first time, all right, when it was time to take our first child, Maddie, home from the hospital. Uh, parents in the room, you probably remember that moment. With your first one, there's something different, isn't there? It was very scary. I mean, honestly, they probably should have some sort of class that you take to make sure that you can keep another human alive before they send one home with you. You know what I mean? I mean, we, we adopted a rescue dog a couple years ago. You wouldn't believe the hoops we had to jump through to take home a rescue dog. And she's a mutt. She's not even full-blooded. You know, when it comes to your kids, though, they're just like, hey, here you go. See you later. And you know how the nurse does. They just almost dump mom out of the wheelchair right there at the curb. And you turn around to ask a question and they're nowhere to be found. You know what I mean? When we took her home for us, for our first one, it was scary. Now, the more children that you have, the less scarier it gets. You know what I mean? Like by the time you get to number three, number four, number five, if you're here and you got a bunch of kids, it gets a little bit different. But with the first one, it's scary. And I remember whenever we strapped her into her little, uh, the little, little carrier, little infant carrier car seat that we had. It was brand new. And as a matter of fact, this past week, um, I think it was on Friday, we were over at Target. And so my son, Carter, he turns five today. And... Um, so he, yeah, pretty cool. Good, good achievement. He's, he's lived five years. That's good. Uh, we've, kept, <laughs> we've kept him alive for five years. That's probably the better achievement. Uh, but we were, he was moving up to a booster seat. And so we were looking in the aisle and we saw the infant car carriers. And, and I, I got a little choked up, you know? I had a moment in the Target aisle where I was like, man, I cannot believe my kids at one point that their big giant heads now used to fit in that tiny little <laughs> car carrier. And, uh, and we had a little, a little moment there. But you know, I remember on that day when we took her home, we had her strapped in, we had her buckled in just right. And, you know, I adjusted, I checked it, then Sonia checked it, and then we checked it again. And then we put her into the back seat of our old Ford Explorer. And uh, then I went around and I hopped in the driver's seat and I began to pull away. And we didn't live very far from the hospital. We were in Chicago at the time and we didn't live very far from the hospital. But I remember, I think I went about 10 miles an hour the entire way home because it was, it was scary. And, you know, that, that first day you take your child home is a very scary day. But I'll tell you what's going to be even scarier. In a few years, my daughter Madison will be 16. And some of you guys are experiencing that right now. Your auto insurance just tripled when you added your 16-year-old to your policy. Someone say amen or oh me, one of the two, right? But here's the thing. Whenever it's time to hand over those keys, that's going to be a difficult time. She's going to be moving from the passenger seat, from the ride-along seat into the driver's seat. And that's a scary moment. And wouldn't you say that it's a big moment in your life when you hand the keys over to someone else? You know, if up until that point at which you hand the keys over, you've been choosing the destination. You've been choosing the, the way you get there, the route you take. You've been choosing the speed. You've been choosing everything about what you're doing because you've had the keys. But at that moment at which you hand over the keys or hand over the wheel, it's a scary thing. And it's a moment where you say, I trust you. 
It's a moment where you say, I have faith in you. I believe that you can take care of this vehicle. Am I right? Jesus actually has the same thing to say. If you'll turn to Matthew uh, 16 with me. Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to look. We're going to look at two different places in Matthew. Jesus tells us we need to do the very same thing when we become Christians. We're to hand over the keys of our lives in full, and we're going to hand him the wheel and allow him to lead. Now, this wheel, I, my, my Lambo is in the shop, and so the steering wheel is getting worked on, and, and I'm kidding. I don't have a Lamborghini, okay? I tried to pick the most random, like, crazy car. You guys, did you guys really believe that? Come on, come on. Now, if you want to donate one to me, I'd be more than happy, or let me borrow one. I'd be happy to do that. Uh, but, but no, this is, this is actually from a Chevy Spark, okay? This is what this is from. <laughs> Not a real manly car, okay? Right next to a Prius, okay? Uh, sorry, Prius people, again, I always like to knock on the Priuses. But Jesus says, when we become Christians— that we don't get to choose the areas in which we keep the wheel of our life, but that we give him the wheel of our life in everything. Every single part, every single aspect. Just like the song we sang a moment ago that you can have it all, Lord. It's not just the thing we, sit, we sing, but it's actually something that we're to live by. So, which means Jesus can't stay in the co-pilot seat. That God can't stay in the co-pilot seat. That he has to have the wheel of your life. Now look at what he says in Matthew 16. Now, if you were here with us a few weeks ago, actually about a month and a half ago, we were in a series called The Upside Down Kingdom, and we talked about this passage in depth. So you can go back and listen to that a little bit more. But I want to use it today as somewhat of a springboard as we jump into this idea of God being our co-pilot. Verse, verse 24 of chapter 16 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Everybody say deny and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, in that passage, Jesus tells us that he's never going to be content in the co-pilot seat. As great as it sounds, as spiritual as that sounds, to say, yeah, Jesus, he's my co-pilot. Jesus will never be content in the co-pilot seat. And I'll just tell you this, you'll never be content with him there either. As you look at your life, the areas in which you feel like you still have control, the, the best things that can come of that will never outweigh the best things that can come of your life when Jesus is behind the wheel of your life. Amen? Like, there, there is so much more that God has in store for you. And Jesus says, look, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Every area of your life, you've got to give me the wheel. I can't stay in the second chair. I can't stay in the co-pilot seat. He said, deny yourself. He says, you've got to give him the wheel of every inclination, of every desire, of every urge that you have, of every area of control that you try to keep control of. He says, you've got to give it all to me if you're going to be one of my disciples, if you're going to follow Jesus. But isn't it true that we all struggle with this? Anybody else struggle with it? You don't have to raise your hand, but anybody else struggle with this besides me? When it comes to this, we love having control of our lives. And it's hard for us to hand over the wheel of our life to Jesus. You see, many of us find Jesus handy to have in the car as long as he's in the co-pilot seat, don't we? We like having him in there because something may come up where we require his services. Hey, Jesus, I know you're in the co-pilot seat, but listen, I've got this health problem that I, I don't have a fix for. And, and like, I, I don't trust you enough. Like, I want you in the car. I don't trust you enough to drive us there, but I need some help with this health situation that I'm facing. 
See, we like to do that. But it's scary for us to actually fully hand the wheel of our life over to Jesus, isn't it? Because if Jesus is driving the car, if he has every part of your life, you know what that means? That means your life is no longer yours. That means your wallet is no longer yours. That's scary, isn't it? Yeah, like if Jesus is driving the vehicle of your life, that means you don't just get to pick and choose when you want to be generous, that you live a life of generosity, right? Someone say amen. I know it's convicting, but we got we to roll with it, all right? Listen, if we do that, then Jesus is in control. God's in control of our wallet and what we do. And we don't just give when we have a little bit of extra laying around in the car. We give because Jesus has told us, I've got control of your wallet. That's scary, isn't it? We like having him in a co-pilot chair, but not in that driver's seat. You see, if Jesus is in control of your life, if he's got the wheel of your life fully, that means your ego is no longer in control. All the desires, the things you want for yourself, the prestige, everything you want to gain and garner, the reputation that you want to build for yourself, it's no longer about you. And it's all about Jesus sitting behind the wheel of your life. You see, if Jesus is not in the co-pilot chair and he's in the pilot's chair in the driver's seat, that means that your mouth is no longer yours. The things that we say are all guided and guarded by what Jesus says, that we can no longer flatter, we can no longer exaggerate, we can no longer manipulate or intimidate with our words, but that Jesus is calling the shots because he sits behind the wheel of our life. That's a scary place, isn't it, for some of us? See, we like to have this thing in our hands with a white knuckle grip on it all the time if we're really honest. But Jesus says, look, if you want real life, if you want true life, if you really want to be my disciple, I've got to have every single area of your life, and I'm not going to be content to be your co-pilot. You see, ultimately, it comes down to this. It comes down to control. See, each of us wants to have the freedom to control our own destiny. We, we believe that if we can hold on to that steering wheel just right, and we can plan out the route just right, and we can go exactly at the speed we want to go at just right, and we can determine, and somehow we can determine the results how we want it just right. And we want the freedom to be able to control our lives, right? But look, you guys have been around long enough to know this. Are you really ever fully in control? Can you really control outcomes? Can you really control what's going to happen a week from now or a year from now or even a day from now? See, I, I think a lot of times it's like when you put your kid on your lap. Sometimes, you know, I let Carter or, or Madison or Claire drive us. You, you know what I'm talking about? You sit them on your lap and you let them put their hands on the wheel. Man, they think they're in control. But what do they not know? My knee is on that steering wheel the entire time, right? And they have no idea. I, I think a lot of times Jesus probably chuckles a little bit. And he says, you know, I, I know you think you have control. But I really ultimately am in control of what's going on in your life right now. I'm the one who chooses ultimately, and I want you just to come along with me. I want you to believe that. I want your heart to follow that. I want you to agree with that truth about your life. Well, listen, there's a story that's actually in Matthew 14, so go there with me. There's a story in Matthew 14 that's going to give us a lot of good indicators about this idea of Jesus being our co-pilot. Because maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, well, Pastor Brian, I— I don't know if God's my co-pilot. If Jesus is my co-pilot, I'm not sure. Well, we're going to get a couple little indicators in this passage we're about to read that'll give you a great test you can give yourself, a self-examination to say, yeah, God's my co-pilot or Jesus is my co-pilot if this is true. Now, as you're turning there, I want to give you some context as always, okay? We don't ever just want to pull verses out of chapters and make it say what we want it to say. We want it to say what Jesus intended it to say, right? Amen? 
We don't just pluck stuff out and make it so what we want it to mean. Uh, in this passage, just before the story we're about to read, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. That's, that's the title of that story. We all know that was more than 5,000. It was 5,000 men and their, and, and their wives and children as well. Maybe they brought their dogs. I don't know. There was probably close to 20,000 people there very easily that he fed. Now imagine again, go back in time for a minute here and place your minds there because sometimes we gloss over things. We've read them or heard them so many times. Jesus just fed close to 20,000 people with a Lunchable, okay? A Lunchable. He took a few loaves and a cup of fish. You know, they had Lunchables back then. They did. He took a kid's lunch and he fed thousands of people. Now, you would have thought, for the disciples, that would have inspired some extra faith, wouldn't you think? Like, if that just happened, and then you went away, you would think, I'm, I'm going out here believing even more in Jesus, that he's in control, that he's got this. But watch what happens in the story. Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. What he means by other side is the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, we'll talk a little bit more about the Sea of Galilee in a minute. But he says, we're finished feeding these people. Everybody's got full bellies. I'm going to send them away. So he dismissed the crowd and he sends them over to the other side. After he had dismissed them, Jesus went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. So he sends his disciples out ahead of himself. We're going to find out in a minute. It's because he wants to teach them something. Okay, he was always in control of the situation. He knew what was going to happen. Keep going. Verse 24. So he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land. Everybody say considerable distance. That's a lot of syllables for saying it's a long way, okay? And what, what it means there is about three miles out from land is what most scholars agree on. Three miles out from land. And just to kind of give you some context about the Sea of Galilee. Again, sometimes we hear words and phrases and places so often in Scripture that we don't really think about what they mean when we read a story. Okay, when he sent them out on the Sea of Galilee, it's no small pond. The Sea of Galilee was about 65 square miles in surface area. And at its deepest point was close to 200 feet deep. So this was not a small uh, a lake or pond that they're on. They're going out into a very large area. They're about three miles out into it by themselves and Jesus has just finished praying and he's coming down to meet them. But look what it says happened while they were on the sea. So the boat was a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Everybody say buffeted. That has nothing to do with Golden Corral, okay? Nothing to do with it. Though we probably could term like a, a, like coin a really cool term. Like, hey, what'd you do Sunday? I buffeted all afternoon. You know what I mean? We could do that. That's not what it means, okay? Buffeted in, in, in the context here, what it's talking about is, is that they're being uh, struck violently and consistently by the waves because of the wind. Now, this all goes back to the Sea of Galilee as a whole. If you know anything about the Sea of Galilee, all around it, it's not like this calm little, little place all the time. There's some very violent storms that can erupt on the Sea of Galilee because of the topography of the land that wraps around the Sea of Galilee. All around it are these mountainous areas as high as 2,500 feet in the highest points. And what will happen is many times is these storms will blow in quickly and unexpectedly right over the top of the mountains. They'll rush down over the Sea of Galilee and you'll be in the middle of a storm that can take your life in a very, very quick moment. That's where they find themselves today, okay? Jesus is off praying. They have no idea what's going on. 
Jesus knows what's going to happen, doesn't he? He knows exactly what he's going to do. And he's trying to teach them something here. He's trying to teach them as a whole, you can trust me no matter what, right? Because he told them what to do. He's the one that told them to go to the other side in the first place. He says, go on over there. He knew what was going to happen because he wanted to teach them that he was in control. If you're taking notes, this is a great way to think about it. Jesus is in full control when things seem out of control. Jesus is in full control when things seem out of control. He wanted his disciples to grasp this. He wanted them to understand this, that they really truly were never in trouble because he was in full control. Now look at verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now again, we got to pause here, okay? Let's not gloss over this statement. I know you've read this a million times. If you grew up in Sunday school, you've probably seen the flannel graph. How many of you guys know what a flannel graph is? Yes, yes, that's my background too, okay? We burn them all. No, I'm kidding. We don't, we don't burn them all. But listen, you, you've grown up hearing this story so many times that you don't think about what is happening in this story, okay? The disciples are out in the middle of a storm, and Jesus comes walking on the water. It didn't say that he walked under the water, around the water. He didn't walk with a bottle of water in his hand. He walked on the water in the middle of a violent storm that was going on. This would have been a feat if he was in the swimming pool walking on water. But he's not in a swimming pool. He's out in the middle of nature, in the middle of a violent storm, and it's a miracle. It's literally a miracle that he is performing as he walks towards the disciples. Now look at verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. So very likely here, they can't see Jesus' face because there's a storm, right? The wind, the waves, the water splashing around. They can't see his face. They just see this figure coming toward them. And now they're terrified because not only is the storm trying to kill them and take them down, now there's this ghost coming after them as well. They were superstitious, okay? Maybe not superstitious, but at least a little stitious, okay? Right? Some of you guys will get that later, okay? I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. They're scared. They think it's a ghost. Now look what happens. Jesus, I love how he responds. Jesus immediately said to them, because he knew, he didn't hear what they were saying. He was far away. He knew what they were saying in, in their hearts. He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now the phrase there, that is, that, uh, it is I, can literally be translated, I am. Does that sound familiar to you? Remember in the Old Testament, whenever Moses went to the burning bush, he was out there messing around with the sheep. And he runs into the burning bush and the angel of the Lord in there, which is, we know was God, he's speaking to him, saying, hey, I want you to deliver my people out of Egypt. Remember that story? And, and, and Moses makes up all these excuses. You know, you might know the story. But one of his excuses is, well, who do I, who do I tell them that sent me? When I go and I, I tell them, hey, we need to, uh, God told me this. He says, who do I tell them sent me? And, and God tells him, tell them I am who I am sent you. Same phrase here, okay, that Jesus is using to, to comfort them. This is a phrase that was spoken by God to God's people to remind them of his presence in their midst as their savior. Think about that for a minute. This is the phrase Jesus chose to use. It was to remind them of God's presence in their midst as their Savior. Jesus was telling him, look, I'm here, guys. I'm in control. I have the ability to protect you. Stick with me. Trust me. Don't be afraid. I am is with you. You guys with me? Keep going. Peter has to test him. Peter's always the first one to speak, generally, and as we read the, the story of the disciples. Peter, he says, Lord, if it's you, he, didn't still, he still doesn't believe. Peter replied, tell me, come to you on the water. Now, I don't know if Peter thought that he really would call him out on the water or not. 
You know, Jesus allowed his disciples to be around for a lot of his miracles, but not really were a part of them often. So maybe he just thought, ah, if this is really him, maybe he'll let me come out. Well, Jesus does that very thing as Peter gives him this test. He says, come on out, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. Again, amazing. Don't gloss over these moments of miracles when you read through the gospels. He does what no other human besides Jesus has ever done and walks on the water toward Jesus. It's amazing. Now, watch what he does. He does what a lot of us do oftentimes. Look at verse 30. But when he saw the wind, everybody say wind. He was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. You see, for a few moments there, Peter allowed Jesus to have the wheel, right? Can you imagine the amount of faith it took for him to step out out of the boat onto a stormy sea and walk toward Jesus? See, for a moment, he gave the wheel over to Jesus. He said, Jesus, you drive, you take this, you got full control of everything. I'm going to step out on this water and I'm going to trust you. But what happened when we began to see the wind and waves around him? He got afraid and he began to worry, right? And he does what so many of us do when Jesus is our co-pilot. He began to worry and be afraid. And if you're taking notes, you can write this one down, number one. Jesus is our co-pilot. It's your co-pilot when we operate out of fear rather than faith. You see, for a few moments there, Peter was, was fully locked in. Jesus had the wheel of his life. And by the way, we're not going to sing the Carrie Underwood song at any point in this sermon. I know I keep talking about Jesus taking the wheel. Just trust me, that will never come out of my mouth, all right? I just wanted to put your minds in there. I can see some of you guys were like, oh, is he going to say it? Is he going to go there? I'm not going there, okay? But for a few moments there, okay, Peter gave the wheel to Jesus, and he was walking on water. But then he did what many of us do. He began to fear for himself, for his life, he, as if Jesus wasn't going to take care of him. Don't we do the very same thing with our lives? See, that area of your life where you've refused to give the wheel back to Jesus, where you've refused to give him the keys of your life, it's an area where I would bet, if you're honest, you'd say, you know what? I just don't know if Jesus has my best interest at heart in this area. I don't know if Jesus knows what I know about this area of my life. See, I don't know if Jesus has a full picture of my career path that I've laid out for myself right now. Jesus, you can have, you know, the financial side of things. You can have the family side of things. You know, you've given me control. I give you control over these areas that I'm tempted with, that I wrestle with. But this area of my career, man, this is my thing. And we white knuckle grip it, don't we? Maybe that's not the area that you're dealing with. I don't know what it is. But so often, just like Peter, we can, we can try to take control back. And we take the wheel from Jesus and say, no, no, no. Jesus, I need you to be my co-pilot right now. And, and I'm going to take the wheel in this area because I don't trust that you have my best interests at heart. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy for us to look our creator in the face and say, I know more than you know? Because isn't that what we're saying when we hold on to the wheel? Jesus, I know more than you know. Like at what point in our 20 years or 30 years or 50 years or 80 years on this planet do we feel like we have more experience and wisdom and knowledge about where we need to go in a particular area of our life than Jesus? Wow. But that's what we often do when it comes to this idea of Jesus being our copilot. Hey, Jesus, I'll, I'll take it in this area because I'm afraid that you don't have my best interest at heart. And listen, this is really important. Listen close. I think some of you really need to hear this. You holding on to that wheel is a weight that you were never intended to carry. Listen, this is a weight you were never intended to bear. You know, one of the greatest symptoms 
uh, if you're asking yourself, well, pastor, I don't know if Jesus is my co-pilot or not. I, I, need an, I, don't, I don't really know. I'm not sure. I don't know. One of the greatest symptoms that Jesus is your co-pilot is that you operate consistently out of stress and fear and worry. Now, I'm not saying momentary. All of us deal with it from moment to moment, once in a while, right? There are going to be times when we're afraid. And in those moments, it's not wrong to cry out to Jesus. But what I'm saying is if you, const- as you look at your life, you look at your day-to-day, and you operate in a constant state of stress and worry and fear, that it's indicative of something. It's indicative of the fact that you think you're in control of everything. You're in control of the route you take. You're in control of the plan that you put in place. You think you're in control of the speed. You think you're in control, and this is where it really gets you, of even the result of your planning. That's a, that's a weight you were never intended to bear. See, no human being can bear up underneath that weight. Only Jesus can carry it the right way. And so for many of you, you came in today and you sat there and you're like, wow, I feel so stressed about this area. Could it be with your children or your finances or whatever it might be, could it be that you've been white knuckle gripping an area of your life, the wheel of your life and been unwilling to give it to Jesus and you've kept him in the second chair in the co-pilot seat? You guys with me? I know that Jesus wants to be the pilot. He's sitting there patiently wanting to step over and, and slide over and take the wheel of your life. Would you give it to him today? And would you, would you release some of the stress and the worry and the fear from your lives? I think that's a word for somebody today. Let's keep going. Now, the other thing I think Peter does here that's indicative of someone that has Jesus as their co-pilot is that he only goes to Jesus in an emergency. Look what he, look what he said there. He starts to sink. So he looks around. He takes the wheel of control back. I've got this, Jesus. But then he begins to sink. And he says, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. I think the other area, if you, if you said, Pastor Brian, I just don't know if Jesus is my co-pilot. Here's the test. Jesus is your co-pilot when we seek him only when we're sinking. Jesus is your co-pilot when we seek him only when we're sinking. Hey, Jesus, Jesus, you know, I... I've got control of all these other areas of my life, but man, this month the bills are really tight. Please help me, I'm sinking. Jesus, I, I've got control of, you know, every other area of my life. I don't trust you to drive. I want you to stay in the co-pilot seat, but I, I need you to help me in this health situation that I'm dealing with. You know, I, Jesus, I, I've got this financial burden. I've got whatever the thing is. If the only time you run to Jesus is when you're sinking, he's probably in the co-pilot seat. He probably doesn't have the wheel of your life. Now, hear me, hear me clearly. There's nothing wrong with us running to Jesus when we're in need. Even when Jesus is, is driving and he's behind the wheel, he's got every part of your life, there's going to be scary moments when you need to cry out to Jesus for help. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is if the only time you ever seek Jesus is when you're sinking, he is very likely your co-pilot, much like Peter in our story today. If the only time you run to him is when you feel like there's a moment where you're out of control, probably means you've still got your hands on the wheel of your life. Probably still means you've got the keys to the car in your pocket. And he's sitting in the co-pilot seat. I love what Jesus says to him though. Jesus is so compassionate. He's so kind in the way he comes back to Peter. Look at verse 31. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. Like if it were me and he just did that to me and just snubbed me, I'd have probably just let him sink and like walk back to the mountain and prayed. You know what I mean? 
Jesus does not even come close to doing that. And here's what I want you to do. As we read the next part of this verse, I want you to hear it in the tone of Jesus as Father, okay? Sometimes when we read Scripture, we read it as if Jesus has like the whip out, and he's just whipping us, and he's berating us. You know, why did you doubt me, Peter? How dare you? And he, you know, like we do sometimes with our children, and we, and we get angry, and we rescue them, but we're angry about it. Hear this next phrase through the words of our Father, okay, and how he deals kindly with us from what I know of Jesus from the rest of our other Gospels. He reached out his hand and he caught him. This is how I see him saying this to Peter. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Why did you, why did you doubt me? We're close, Peter. You know I love you. you you've seen the things that that I can do. You, you've seen me earlier today feed all those people. You, you know the power that I possess. You know my, my love for you as my, as my child. Why do you, why do you doubt me? Do, do you see the difference? And maybe that's what Jesus is saying to some of you today. As you sit under the sound of my voice, maybe you've been, you've been over there just sweating and gripping this so tight that your knuckles are bright white. And Jesus is saying in the co-pilot chair, why do you doubt me? I've given everything for you. I loved you. I died for you on the cross. How can you not trust me with this area of your life? And so often, the enemy comes and gets on your shoulder and says, no, no, no. He didn't have your best interests at heart. He's not going to worry about these things the way we're going to worry about these things in the right way. He's not going to get you to where you really want to go. You need to keep on gripping as tight as you possibly can. And Jesus says, no, Peter, why, why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt. Now, here's the deal. What do we do to get Jesus out of that co-pilot seat and into the driver's seat? I think it takes one big move. It takes a move from control to surrender. It takes a move from control to surrender. And see, this is the great irony about freedom. Remember when we started the message today, I said, the reason we bristle so much at Jesus having the wheel of every part of our life is because we all want the freedom to control our own destiny. We want the freedom to call the shots and do what we want to do. But the great irony about freedom when it comes to the kingdom of God is that to become truly free, you must surrender. Surrender is not a popular concept. It goes against everything we know in our culture about being free. That you've never seen a war that was won by the winning side surrendering, right? You've never seen a, a, a sports team in the Super Bowl, a football team go in there and win by surrendering to the other side. It, it's counterintuitive to the way our brains work. But Jesus says the only way, surrender is the only way to achieve the freedom and fulfillment that you really want in your life. He says, you've got to give me the wheel, not control, but surrender. Does that make sense? And listen, what's interesting about this story is there for a moment in there, there was a moment where Peter had given the wheel to Jesus. When he allowed him, when his faith allowed him to walk out there on water, he had handed the wheel to Jesus before he tried to snag it back. Remember that part? Just before he began to sink, Jesus had the wheel of his life. He had the keys to his life. Peter's faith did something for him. And I think there's a lesson for us in this. Listen, faith unleashes the supernatural. 
Faith unleashes the supernatural in your life. Listen, so many of us are so afraid that if we follow Jesus and we give him fully everything, we give him the wheel, that we're going to have this dull life. It's going to be boring. There's not going to be any fun in it. You know, he, my career is not going to be where I wanted to go. My finances aren't going to go where I want them to go. My relationships aren't going to go where I want them to go. But here's the thing, and we see this with Peter. His faith unleashed the supernatural, and it's exactly the same for your life. We've been sitting back in fear, afraid to hand over the wheel because we're afraid of missing out. And Jesus says, no, if you'll give me the wheel of your life, I will unleash the supernatural in your life. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Listen, don't believe the lie of the enemy that you're going to miss out if you give it all to Jesus. If you go all in with Jesus and you move him out of that co-pilot seat into the driver's seat. Listen, when you move Jesus there, He has more in store for your life than you can even imagine. Now, I'm not saying you're going to go walk on water, but if you do, please video it. I want to see it, all right? I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that when we operate by faith rather than fear, and we say, Jesus, take this wheel of my life, you can do things that are above the natural, that are above the ordinary, that you'll see strides taken in relationships, in your career, in your finances, with your neighbors, with your friends, that you could never have accomplished in your own power. You guys with me? Faith unleashes the supernatural. So don't be content to take second best. C.S. Lewis has a fantastic quote about this. C.S. Lewis is a great writer. He's, he's dead and gone. He's with Jesus right now. Look at this quote. I think this sums up exactly what we're talking about in our fear of missing out. C.S. Lewis said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Listen, listen, this really closely. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You see, the enemy has told so many of us, you need to keep holding on to that steering wheel because there's nothing better out there. You, you are the best to control and lead your life. You know what's best. You know the best outcome. But what Jesus is saying is exactly what C.S. Lewis alludes to right there. He says, look, so many of us are content playing in a sandbox in the backyard because we have no idea what it even means to take a vacation on the seashore. You guys with me? That's what Jesus is offering you. He's offering you something bigger than you, a plan bigger than you can imagine, an outcome and results bigger than what you can imagine. But here's the thing. He can't stay in the second chair. He can't stay in the co-pilot seat. He's got to have the wheel fully. And so many people in the, under the sound of my voice, and if I'm honest, myself so many times, I rob myself of the joy of what Jesus has for me because I white-knuckle grip this wheel in front of me. Listen, if that's you today, I don't want you to miss out any longer. I, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want second best for my life. I want the first best. And here's the cool thing. In the kingdom of God, the second chair doesn't mean second best. When you slide over to the co-pilot seat and you let Jesus take his rightful place behind the wheel in the driver's seat of your life, you taking second chair does not mean second best. It means the absolute best. Someone say amen. 
Listen, He has more in store for your life than you can even imagine. He has more in store for your family than you can even imagine. He has more in store for your children than you can even imagine, parents. Stop trying to white-knuckle grip leading your kids. And allow Jesus to lead you and guide you. I said it earlier, some of you came in with so much stress and so much weight on your shoulders because you've been trying to hold this wheel of your life up. Listen, you're never intended to hold that wheel up. We're intended to follow Jesus's lead as we sit in the co-pilot seat. That's what he wants for your life. Now here's the question for you, we're done. What area of your life do you need to give Jesus the wheel? In what area of your life you need to give Jesus the keys? I, 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 don't know your, I don't know all your stories. I know some of your stories. I don't know all your stories. I don't know where you're at today. But listen, Jesus wants the best for your life. He wants you to have more walk on water moments than sinking under the water moments. And that can only happen if we'll surrender control of that wheel to the one who rightfully deserves to sit in that driver's seat. Amen? Listen, I'm done, but I think if Jesus stood before you and me today on the stage, this is what he'd say. He'd say, give me the wheel of your life. Jesus would say, give me the wheel. And then he would follow it with this. You can trust me with your life because I laid down my life for you. That's Jesus' word for you this morning. Get him out of the co-pilot chair and put Jesus in the driver's seat. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, so often we're guilty of half-hearted following. So often we're guilty of just consulting you for advice once or twice rather than giving you the wheel of our lives. God, I know for myself, Lord, there's areas where I'm so tempted to take control back of the wheel. I'm so tempted like Peter when I see things going on around me to say, oh, Jesus, I don't trust you in this part. Give me the wheel back. And God, so I ask for forgiveness for that personally. And God, I know if that's a struggle that I have, God, that there are other people under the sound of my voice right now dealing with areas of their life where they're trying to steer themselves through. God, would you help some people today in the name of Jesus to take their hands off the wheel? God, let us see people move to their appropriate seat in the passenger seat. And let you drive their lives to the destination with the results that only you could have in store as a good, good father. God, I pray against the enemy right now that would steal the seed of your word from hearts right now. And I just ask that you would move. God, if we're ever going to be a church, if we're ever going to be a community that brings life to our community, we've got to figure out how to get real life ourselves. And so, God, as we begin to release control, God, would you take control of this city in the name of Jesus? Would you reach families? Would you reach single people? Would you reach young people and old people? God, use us as we surrender our lives fully to you. Use us to minister to this city in your name. God, will give you the glory for it.